Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Flesh Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The One Flesh Podcast is all about marriage, the essential union between man and woman. Uh, we're here to help young men get married and build marriages worth having. Uh, it's a difficult thing to do. None of us are really good at it. And that's why, especially me, I'm not very good at it. That's why I try to have guests on uh, to talk about that and to bounce ideas off of and to talk about their experiences being married, finding women, uh, getting married. And the guest I have today is Mikey with Sing Your War Song. Mikey, how are you doing today? I'm good, Haas. Thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. Uh, despite the rocky intro um, that we had to do twice, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on. Mikey, uh, I am excited to have you on. We had originally talked about doing a regular Purpose Podcast episode, and then we discussed that you are happily married with two children, uh, that you seem to have somewhat of a handle on the Christian idea of marriage, and that I have absolutely uh, procrastinated getting a One Flesh episode recorded for Wednesday. And I have like no time to do it. So instead of doing a regular purpose podcast episode, you and I are going to do a one flesh episode. Uh, and I am very happy that you agreed to do that. Um, so, but we still need to state your purpose. So Mikey, give us a little bit of an intro about you, about yourself, about your podcast, and then uh, we'll talk about your purpose and then move into the one flesh portion. Yeah, my name is Mikey. I uh, host the Singer War Song podcast which is just my ramblings as an individual. But uh, the concept of the podcast is that uh, as a common man, understanding the deep things of God and how they influence me as an individual, us as a society, and um, essentially articulating Christian worldview. And through that lens, seeing the world and and living accordingly. Uh, that's, that's kind of my own gig. I don't do it full-time or anything. Um, I was in the military for a few years, and then I've been an active law enforcement officer for over 10 years now. It's my full-time job. Beautiful wife, two kids. Um, if I had to summarize my purpose, I'd actually quote something. It's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's kind of an old tradition from uh, our church fathers from the Reformation, but uh, it asks questions and gives answers. And it says, uh, it asks the question, the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? which is interesting. You think of the chief end, which really is synonymous with like purpose. Um, Cause if you look at like the Bible and the Greek, when, uh, whenever they say like, Oh, the end is near or the end it's uh trans it's from the Greek word telos, which telos is kind of that question of um, purpose, but it asks the question was the chief end of man, the chief and the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if I had to put my purpose in a statement as an individual, and there's a lot that goes into that, but it would be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Awesome, man. No, I like that a lot. And I say this every time that somebody comes to the purpose podcast with a purpose like that, but it's almost like the ultimate, uh, the ultimate Trump card. Now that I'm like, really, I, I've recently kind of gotten into, into Christianity and really trying to understand it. And I mm -hmm. started the podcast with this like great question of like, what is every man's purpose? Like, maybe after after years of podcasting and thousands of episodes and and so many books and and ad deals and all that stuff we might find out what a man's purpose is and then these yeah. christians come on there and they're like it's to glorify god dude and i'm like well cool <laughs> you know like <laughs> there goes all that but no uh i really i really enjoy that and there's so much wrapped up into that um to glorify god and so i i like it that uh, even though you know the christians that come on here um, which I mean, almost all of them are, but, uh, the Christian men that come on here, even though they have kind of one central purpose, we're able to attack it from so many different angles and so many different specialties. 
and I think that that is that is really cool. And and one way that I think you and I are going to attack it today uh, is by talking about marriage. Um, that's what the One Flesh podcast is for. And you know something that I haven't been. It's not that I haven't been struggling with, but you you entered Christianity and in, into in adulthood. We can talk about that on the regular on the regular uh, version of the purpose podcast on the Sunday series where you said that you had, you know, kind of become a Christian at 21 and it may become relevant in this episode. But um, one thing that I've been, the reason I brought it up is that it's not really like a struggle to understand, but it's just kind of steps. Like you get into Christianity and you're like, Oh, okay. The next thing to think about is this. And then the next thing to think about is this. And the next question to ask is this Um, it's, it's a progression. And one, uh, step that I'm still waiting to take is is to involve God in my marriage. Um, that one's a difficult one uh, for me. It's 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 difficult to kind of give control over to someone else, and so I really want to explore. Um, and I say someone else to the someone else to God. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I really want to explore some of your thoughts on that um, because it hasn't been easy to it hasn't been easy for me. Uh, and one of uh, one of my buddies, he, on that point, he said something like, uh, dude, you can't be her savior for like, you know, you can only be her savior in this life, not the next. So you've got to, um, you got to think about that. But anyway, not to get too deep, too quick. Um, go ahead and tell me a little bit about, uh, your home life and your marriage. Uh, how did you meet your wife? Um, give me, give me the backstory. Yeah. So I, I was enlisted, uh, active duty in the army. I was in my first deployment, which was in Baghdad, Iraq. And, um, I ended up, me- I ended up meeting a guy there. I-, I came into the deployment halfway through. So my unit was doing a 15 month rotation and I showed up at like month seven. So I did about half the deployment, ended up meeting a guy who ended up being really my best friend. It's funny in high, cause I was a godless heathen. Like I said, <laughs> I <Yeah. laughs> uh, I wanted no- nothing to do with the Christian God. Uh, I considered myself a deist if I had to classify myself as anything. Um, but I'm like, uh, you know, I established my own standard of righteousness. I pursue things based upon my own intellect, yada, yada. So it's funny in hindsight, because he would actually try to, he'd ask me, hey, man, you want to go to like the Bible study and stuff like that? And I'd literally laugh in his face like, nah, dude, I ain't about that. But anyway, he was my best bud. You know, we came home from deployment and uh, he invited me to come home with him on a four day weekend, uh, which is central Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm like, sure, man, came up here, really enjoyed the lifestyle. And um, he introduced me to his cousin, who is now my wife. So um, met her, started getting to know her. And to give it context, I was in a very dark point in my life after my deployment and really started questioning my values, my belief system, because they had failed me, you know, and started pursuing like, hey, I think there's something deeper out there. By God's providence, everything comes together, right? I meet my wife. Um, she just is just like a, a good person. Like I was in such a dark point that I, re- I felt like I could almost like she almost radiated light, you know, because I was so yeah. used just to being around just uh, just darkness. And uh, I asked her what made her tick. She said, well, I'm a Christian which prompted my own pursuit of God. And, um, you know, he, he saved me and then, uh, started dating my wife and pretty much knew early on that, uh, we would commit to marriage. So, uh, we did, you know, I asked for her hand. She said, yes. And, uh, we waited till I got out of the military. 
So it was like a year and a half later, we got married in 2011 uh, when I got out and um, I have two beautiful children and uh, we're just, we're just living the way. That's awesome, man. No, uh, it's, that's really cool that she kind of brought you, I guess. So were you on your Christian walk before you had met her or no? Like, had you started that before you had met her? Not my Christian walk. I will say, um, I was on, I was, I was on the journey of figuring out what else is out there. I mean, I always came from a perspective just logically. I didn't, you know, I grew up in a good home. I would say, uh, from societal standards, I have good parents, but not by any means in a, in a Christian home. It wasn't specifically, we weren't, you know, going to church. We weren't taught specific things about Jesus Christ. Uh, so I kind of, you know, established my own value system and that had failed me. And, um, but I always logically deduce like there's more out there than just like the natural realm. You know, there's, there's some sort of creator intelligent design. It only makes sense. There's a reason why. And then I was on the pursuit of that um, after really getting into a dark hole. So I was on that journey, but uh, had not come to know the Lord until after soon after I met my wife. That's, that's, that's good. Um, So you know, when we talk about your marriage, did y'all have to do like, how long did you know each other before you really started dating? And then how long did you know each other before? I think you said it was a year and a half before you got married after you started dating, right? Um, did you have to do kind of the long distance thing? I know you said that you had to go home with your cousin. Uh, how did you kind of maintain that relationship? And was there any hesitancy on her part uh, with you not being a Christian that did you have to shape up pretty quick or uh, explain to me how that, because I mean, you're, you're giving me the makings of a movie here, you know, the, the godless <laughs> heathen um, meets the good Christian woman and you tell her that you're not a Christian and she clutches her cross, but you really want to date her. And so you go home and you start reading your Bible. Like, give me, give me kind of the breakdown on that, um, of, of how that, how that kind of worked and how, um, if she took any convincing, how you convinced her to date you or what, what requirements were there for you to be a Christian before you got married? Give me, give me the rundown of, of how she helped you in your walk. Uh, if she did. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, I mean, I think we met in like May. I want to say it's Memorial Memorial Day weekend. We met, um, started talking. And then uh, I wouldn't say we were dating yet, but we were talking. And then um, I think maybe from her perspective, maybe it was a little more serious than I thought at the time. <laughs> right, um, yeah. And I really can't, you know, because pretty, it was probably July or August you know, so we were talking a few months. Um, and then I'd come up there again and I, I, I asked her if like, Hey, do you, would you like to date, you know, make this thing kind of official? Yes. Um, you know, she was still kind of, I mean, not standoffish, but obviously there was, we were getting to know each other, but she was willing to kind of commit to that level. And then uh, it wasn't soon after that. It wasn't like her telling me you have to be a Christian. It was a legitimate personal journey um, where I came to a place. I was literally in my barracks room by myself. I said like a prayer, like God, this is you show me. I, I started reading a Bible, starting at the gospel of Matthew, because all I knew about Christianity was, was about this dude named Jesus. And I, I knew at least there were four books that were written about his life, right. the gospels. And I started reading Matthew. And all I can say is, um, you know, I'm very cautious about like feelings and experiences, but it was exactly. revealed, you know, it was revealed to me that day, man. It was like, whether, you know, from, from my perspective now, my heart was regenerated by God. And as I'm reading the sermon on the Mount, you know, Christ's words, 
it was uh it was eye-opening and then you know he finishes in matthew 7 saying you know it says the crowd was astonished because he taught as as one who had authority and i like the scribes and it was like this this clear thought this clarity came to mind and said this guy jesus is who he says he is and it was like it was just from that moment it was like i'm in you know um and then you know i called her and i said i told her about it you know obviously she was my first phone call because i was super stoked and excited coming to this realization about reality (laughs) you know the truth of our reality um that has been revealed to me by the god of truth and um you know from there we were kind of a lot more committed, obviously, because now we shared the same values, growing pains. I was a brand new Christian steeped in a lifestyle of sin. You know, like you said, it's a journey. And by God's grace, you know, he is doing the sanctifying work through history in our own lives and through the historical timeline at large. But that's how God has decided to work, to walk this path with us. And, uh, you know, with each day dying to self and living for God and learning first, like you said, what does it, what does it mean to be a Christian man? What does it mean to walk in the way? What does marriage mean? Who am I to be? Um, yeah, it was from there, like I said, we were dating for like a year and a half. And then uh, I was like, I need to marry this girl. And it, but it was long distance, but I think we were, we were committed, you know? Yeah. Reali- realizing that's, this is it. So. That's awesome. Well, you know, were, were there any key differences in, I'm sure you, you said that there were, so you, you had a good, uh, you're not you're not giving me the 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 juiciness <laughs> that I wanted. Like she demanded you to be a Christian or something <laughs> like that. Um, but no, because y'all started on like a fundamental basis of of truth. Uh, I, it seems like you know when you had had that, I guess revelation, we'll call it. Um, it seems like there wasn't as much of a difference as as what maybe I was thinking in the beginning because you would you would come to Jesus and you had uh, you had made that decision relatively quickly in in mm-hmm. meeting her. Can you describe where there are other difficulties? I know you said that there were growing pains of just having different ideas of what dating is supposed to look like or what marriage is supposed to look like. Uh, was there anything that you had to work through? Because, again, it sounds like this happened pretty rapidly. Um, I mean, and I, that's rich coming from me because I always tell my buddies, like, yeah, it's nothing to get married in a year and a half. That's not that's not just amazingly quick if you know the person you're getting married to. But it still sounds like it happened relatively quickly for you to have a change of faith and decide to get married to this girl. Uh, what were some of the growing pains that you had while dating? Um, and I guess, let me ask you this. Was she pretty staunch, maybe the wrong word, but um, was she pretty overtly Christian? Like, was she very, um, what What am I looking for? The word orthodox isn't, isn't what I'm, isn't what I'm looking for, but um, cause yeah, you, I, know, you know what I'm saying? If she's steeped yeah. in it for like, you know, her entire life, years, yeah. yeah, her entire life to where, um, you know, you may say a cuss word and she has gasped or something like that. Like, was <laughs> yeah. it was it that big of a difference? Did you have anything to work through like that, or oh, for sure, a rundown? You know, yeah. I mean, um, and I'll say this in hindsight, like you know, I think both her and I, I, I think in large part, Christianity as a whole has fallen into the trap of kind of our our modern day's paradigm of what dating is. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm a firm believer now. You know, um as a as a christian that seeks to transform the culture of my people and that's through the advancement of the gospel and then you know the great commission is to preach the gospel and then to teach them to obey everything christ has commanded right so i think we have to as christians recapture what biblical courtship is you know um i think we should have got married a lot sooner 
you know, but I, I came yeah. from a perspective of modern dating and I, you know, I think if she was honest, she kind of just as a, as a true Christian, but understanding, oh, this is kind of our day and age and this is how we date, you know, there's obviously things we could have done better, but yeah, from our different perspectives. Yeah. It was, um, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, my wife is a very quiet and gentle spirit. Um, so it's not very like, uh, it's not very overt. It's almost just kind of seen in her gentle spirit and her character. I mean, she's not hesitant to declare she's a Christian by any means, but it's not like so much out there in your face type thing. Uh, I'd say, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff we had to deal with was just because um, we were long distance, you know? Yeah. So we were only, you know, we uh, talking a lot on the phone, getting to know each other more and more. Um, but a lot of it was just my personal transformation. And I'll tell you, like the first couple of years, it was pretty it was just a lot of like, you know, this is how I view the world now. I need to know what it means. Like, uh, it was just me kind of figuring myself out. So it was realizing these, you know, I was 21 years old, living a light, whatever, you know, I was still steeped in pornography, you know, I was, I was still going out, you know, at times like drinking with the boys from the barracks and, you know, um, and there was a lot of, um, repenting and there was a lot of times where like, uh, you know, I, I had asked her for forgiveness, you know, like, um, as far as some of these, these sins I was still dealing with. And, uh, she was very patient with me <laughs> to kind of be like, yeah, we'll get th through this. Just that, that same spirit of forgiveness, just as Christ has forgiven her. Um, and kind of, because at the, you know, Christ says like to even lust after a woman with your eye and your heart is adultery, you know? So some of these things, like, as I learned, like, oh, I'm actually not supposed to look at porn as a Christian. Right. You know, fig figuring that out. And then, uh, you know, um, for anyone that's that's been addicted to something as as uh, evil as pornography, it's a very difficult habit to kick. Uh, so going through that process, being delivered from that and through those struggles. And yeah, trans. I mean, I know my boy, like I grew up with a very, uh, almost like this, you know, this group of boys that I grew up with back in the neighborhood, you know, in Southern California. Yeah. And we... It was almost like Lord of the Flies. Like we all had families, but a lot of ways we raised each other, which shows you how our values are kind of messed up. But it was like going through those growing pains and like, I'm different now. And they're like, you know, and then kind of being standoffish and and learning where my loyalties lie at that point. And that that's especially, we can speak about, you know, some of those principles of marriage, especially, but uh, my loyalty to my wife. But at then I knew like, I'm committed to God. I'm committed to her. I'm kind of rambling at this point, not being very specific, but it was, it was a lot of personal transformation versus uh, growing pains between us. And I think it was because we were long distance and kind of okay. figuring that out together. And maybe that was a, a blessing in disguise at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, keeping that, keeping that distance where you can know, you can get to know her. Um, you can mm -hmm. have those conversations, but um, letting you work through some of that stuff. Um, I can see how that could be a benefit or a blessing in disguise like what you said. So yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about um, deciding to get married. You know, this is, this is one thing that uh, I do talk to a lot of my young men about um, when they say, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Um, now, once you have, you know, once you believe in Christ and the truth and all that stuff, uh, I've been a firm believer that uh, the best way is not to try to justify it to anybody or the best way is not to be like, and this is about more than Christ, but, um, uh, you can apply this to more things in Christ, but the best thing is not to be like, don't act like you're the weird one or don't let them act like you're the one that's out of, you know, out of place. It's, it's mm -hmm. like, 
what you don't, you know, you don't believe in this. Like, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you, how do you not believe in this? But I say that with like getting married. Um, I, I met a, a young man the other day at the breakfast place. Uh, he, he had walked up like he was, it was kind of weird, but anyway, the, the lady thought that we were together. And so she took her order together at, at the, at the counter. Um, and I just went ahead and paid for his stuff. And then, uh, he, I asked him like, you got a girlfriend or are you getting married or something like that? And, uh, oh, he told me he had a girlfriend and I was like, oh, when are you getting married? He's like, well, we've only been dating for three months. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like my question, like, when are you getting married? You know, um, for a lot of young men, uh, that decision to go ahead and get married, it seems like the timeline is getting longer and longer and longer. Like it needs to be, you know, eight years now before you, you make that decision. Or, um, tell me a little bit about how you decided to get married. Um, do you think, obviously you think it was the right decision in hindsight, but, um, were you 100% confident in that decision? How did you make that decision? Uh, and did it come easy? Do you think it was, I know you said that maybe you should have done it earlier, but do you think it was too quick, not quick enough? Give me, give me a little bit of those details on how you decided to actually marry this girl. I think with the wisdom I have now, it wasn't quick enough. Uh, like I said, it's, if, if I could change anything about the current paradigm, right. Of the VAR dating or courtship, whatever. It's like, even within Christianity, it's, there's some great, great quotes out there, but it's almost, it's the paraphrase is of the same line of thought that, you know, modern dating is just training for divorce. You know, you, you find, you find a girl, oh, we're just going to date, nothing serious, but then we're going to commit to having a sexual relationship, which is the most serious part of it. Right. That's, and then going through these cycles of breakup and then cycle and cycle, and then with this crazy idea that I'm, you know, I'm going to keep doing this till I find the quote unquote right one, right. you know, from, from me, it was just, and I, it's like, I met this girl who was in Christ and we got to know each other. And I, I came to the faith early on and it was just like, um, Hey, I need to, I need to commit to her as the Lord has intended, you know? Yes, sir. Um, and, 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 and that's for life. And so that's uh, kind of, I don't know, it's a simple answer, but it's hard to really think back then, like when I decided the time was right, you know, it was, uh, I don't know if it was the time was right. It was just finally, I was still, I mean, the Lord was still kind of breaking parts of me apart. And we just got to a point where I was convicted, like I need to, I, I need to commit to her in the way the Lord has intended. And I think that's, for Christian, young Christian men today, if you're truly following Christ, because everything, you look at your purpose, right? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is your mission. It's your mission in life. So you as a man are on a mission. And what you're trying to do is find a woman who is going to help you in that mission as a man. And so you need to, when you approach dating or courtship, whatever you want to call it, from the beginning, it should be are we compatible for marriage? Whereas now it's like, we're just going to date, whatever that means, get to know each other, um, you know, fall prey at the same time to whatever temptations there are throughout that process. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work where it's like, no, my, it's just like this nonchalant way of finding a mate where at the mm-hmm. core of it, if we are following Christ first, if we are understanding the core of our purpose, it's like, no, I'm trying to find a helpmate to fulfill this mission of glorifying God and putting him in his rightful place is number one. And then um, 
whenever you do that, everything else falls into place. I mean, that's always kind of been, that's one thing I was blessed from the beginning of marriage was like, okay, God is first. And from an outside, I remember a friend who was a non-believer. He was like, he had a tough, he had a tough time with that. And, you know, I, I, I didn't answer him at the time, but it's one of those things you think about afterwards and you're like, man, I wish I was smart enough to think of this then, (laughs) you know, but uh, you know, he was like, I don't understand how you can commit to someone when uh, like a, like a a girl or a wife, when there's someone else in the relationship, that's more important, you know? And uh, you know, I thought about that, but it's like, but you're, he's losing sight of what our primary purpose is and it's God first, you know, and then you understand, you know, it's not, your wife is not your purpose. Your kids at the end of the day are not your primary purpose. They're beautiful blessings that God uses um, to bring him glory and continue that purpose of uh, glorifying him. And when, when those things are put out of place, it's uh, because now it's like, you know, if, if uh, a man and woman come together and they're both their primary purpose, what happens when they fail each other? Right. What happens yeah. when when you can't make her quote unquote happy anymore? You know, that's when you start to see these things break apart. Where it's like, no, God is our rock, and our mission is Him. That is what holds this whole thing together. And from there, we have the right perspective of truly enjoying our marriage as it was intended. You know. So, so let me ask you. Um, I have a few questions coming out of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, I, I don't. I think the question that you presented, how what was it? How can you commit to one person when there's another person that's more important in the relationship? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that's just an incredibly silly question. Not that you, not that you said it was, but um, that is something that I want to explore a little bit deeper um, here in a second. But you know, when when we're talking about making the decision to get married uh, and mm-hmm. basing that on you know who is going to help you glorify God, what level of I don't want to say wiggle room, but what level of uh, room for improvement are we allowed to accept when we choose, you know, the person that we get married to? Because, you know, when we're young, uh, maybe maybe that person doesn't quite glorify God in all the ways that they need to, or much like in your case or in my case, in mm-hmm. almost anybody's case, maybe we're not doing that to anywhere close to an acceptable level when we do actually get married. Um, what level of, of room for improvement can we have when we decide to get married for someone uh, maybe they sin just a little bit too much in this way or that way. Um, how do you, how can you be sure that you're going to be able to glorify God with this person um, when they're working on it themselves? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Um, I, I I do. And it's, um, it's one of those things where there's a little bit of faith involved, you know, and it's like, it's, it's hard to give a definitive answer. It's how that that's where, you know, the idea of, you know, if we were to look at how courtship should be, or what we should have it strive to be. It's like, that's where we're having those difficult conversations from the beginning as two mm-hmm. individuals um, and saying, what are you struggling with? But I think if you're at the core of it, it's like, you know, we need to be on the same page as far as what we truly believe. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's going to be very difficult, right? Are, are we both trying to live life in the same direction? You know, mm-hmm. are we are we both trying to pursue the same things? And and you know, the Bible does give lessons on where you know someone converts in the in the marriage and the other half hasn't. And you know, Paul teaches like don't just divorce them. You know, right. if they leave you, it is what it is. But you know, by your 
by your faith, try to convert them, you know, and that's its own struggle you're trying to work out. But from the beginning, I I think if, if you can look that person in the eye and they're convicted of, yes, it, it I want to, and inge- I have these struggles, but I think, you know, if there's some sincere level of confession that I would like to pursue God or, or these good things that God has made good, um, you have to take that leap of faith, you know, um, but then you're For committed. Sure you're committed. You know, it's like, I, you know, someone gave me a lesson with, as far as kids, it was like, if you wait till you're ready, you're never going to have them, <laughs> you know, at some level, if yeah. you, if, if you wait, if, you know, and if you're that person, it's like, everything has to be lined up perfectly. Um, then maybe you yourself are trying to play God rather than saying on some level of faith, like there's going to be some level of uncertainty. There's going to be battles and some struggles that we have to face. But uh, I think to answer to give a specific answer on the end of all that is, um, is, is there some genuine, sincere level of like, yes, we want to move in the same direction with this, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty key is, is wanting to move just in the same direction. Um, you know, I know like, cause I could see it being almost similar with politics. Um, you know, cause a lot of young women, I, I think from a man's perspective, like, let's say you're really political, um, just like you can be really religious, you know, at the age of 20 or 21, uh, and you're being told that this person needs to align with you. Um, otherwise you're going to have a really tough time in the marriage and it's not as serious as it is for religion, but it's almost the same thing in politics. Like, um, if you're a Christian and you believe in all the things that, you know, right-wing Christian conservatives believe in, and you go out and you find you a, a left-wing honey that, um, is so steeped in that you're going to have a tough time. But uh, also, I think that um, there's a lot of transformation that marriage does to people. Um, when you do get married, your priorities shift. Uh, and even though maybe at the, the at the time that you put the ring on, uh, maybe all of her politics aren't cleaned up. Maybe she spends a little bit too much money occasionally. Maybe you've got just a little bit of a drinking problem. Um, whatever it may be, I think marriage forces some of those things to get cleaned up. And so... Uh, kind of like what you're saying, I think there is a little bit of wiggle room. And I do think that you have to take that on faith. You know, one of the questions that I get asked, and and I want to find out your being, being uh, a really religious Christian, I want to find out um, your thoughts on divorce here in a second. But uh, I, you know, very recently took the the promises that I had made to my wife very seriously, and and very recently decided that, okay, yeah, like, there is no such thing as divorce once you're married on, on, you know, in my thinking, I don't know what you think about it, but for the purposes of the story, I decided that and I was talking about it with my buddies of like, you just you don't get divorced because that voids the whole promise that you make in my in my uh, in my opinion. And he was he was saying, well, you make that promise on the notion that they are going to uphold their promise as well. And I think introducing God, I've always wondered, what is the point of having God in this marriage? Kind of like what your buddy said is how can you be committed to like, I understand that God reigns over the marriage, but it was always a weird, you know, triunion for me. I didn't understand it, but that makes sense now because you're making the faith to God that he will hold this together. Um, not necessarily that your wife will hold it together. Am I, am I tracking right? Am I correct in that? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, <clears throat> you know, in any conversation, we have to define our terms. Like how do you define, what is the definition of marriage? <laughs> right. Yeah, and yeah. marriage is a union blessed by God. You know, and it's, and, you know, I think anything outside of that, like, you know, for, for a non-believer, like why, why get quote unquote married? What is marriage to them? You know? And that's the thing. A lot of us, 
and it's that's you know i think Christ, modern christianity has fallen into the trap of the modern paradigm where marriage is viewed for a lot of people including christians falsely that it's just a contract between two people right and and like your buddy said yeah there's there's this contract is saying you are going to agree to do do this and you're going to agree to do this and if you break the contract then we can void it you know where it's like no this is a communion this is a, a communion with god um, as two people coming together as one flesh to give him glory and he has declared it shall not be broken and he has declared that he shall hold it together as he does all things and by his grace we make it work so because like at what point are we not going to fail like there's some failures that are worse than others and there's very rare occurrences like in scripture you know Christ says you know marital unfaithfulness is grounds for divorce but even then in a lot of ways it's like what is your purpose here can yeah. this be can this be forgiven because that is a much more powerful testimony and glory to God. You know, to, I I have buddies that are strong in the faith who are divorcees and they've gone through it, but, you know, but I'll tell them, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll always, divorce is never a good thing. Right. It's, ne it's never, even despite the circumstances, you know, there's, there's grounds where it may need to happen <clears throat> that are very rare occurrences, but it's never like a good thing. It's not something that we should be like stoked about. But it is uh, when you make God the primary object, because that's his rightful place. It's not your wife. It's not you, because you will fail your wife and she will fail you, but God never fails. And when you make him your mission, um, he does hold everything together because he puts everything in its right perspective, you know? Yeah. No, I think that helped me square up that question of like, well, you're taking your promise on on the on the faith in her that she will hold hers, but... No, by introducing God, you're taking your promise, you know, on the faith that God will hold this thing together and that you'll both, you know, pursue God and that he'll hold it together. I think that kind of, that just solves for X in that equation that was kind of left in my head. Um, so what what is your official opinion on divorce? I know you kind of stated it. Um, you know, what I've heard from other uh, very, I don't even know, I don't even know what you call like a, I guess just a good Christian um, what I've heard from other good Christian men is that uh, Jesus really frowns upon it. Um, they won't say that it's like completely not allowed. Um, they'll say that like in their own lives that they don't believe that it's ever an option, but they just say that Jesus kind of frowns, that he heavily frowns upon it. He heavily dissuades against it. Is that true? What, what, what are, what, what's the biblical opinion on divorce? I mean, Christ is, you know, you, you go to the gospels, he talks about, because the Pharisees talk about, you know, Moses gave a certificate of divorce and he said he did that because your hearts were hardened. And he says, he essentially says, but from the beginning, God made the man and woman for this purpose to leave their father and mother and join in union. And what God has brought together, let man not separate. I mean, and then he pretty much says, you know, if you are the only grounds for divorce is unfaithfulness. Um, now, Paul articulates it more in like Corinthians. <clears throat> He tells um, specifically when when a believer's yoked with an unbeliever and the unbeliever leaves you because of your faith, you know, what what are you going to do type thing? And I'll say some of it is very, you know, the, the big thing that can be an argument amongst Christians is like divorcees getting remarried. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some people who are like, hey, it's clear. Like <laughs> until, until your divorced half dies, you can't remarry, you know, um, and others say oh, there's grounds for it. I'll say this. There is never a circumstance in my mind, scripturally speaking, unless I guess of a marital unfaithfulness, or I would say um, 
extreme levels of tyranny um, that two believers should ever get divorced. Period. Okay. Yeah. Period. <laughs> There's, I've, I've heard two, you know, they're apparently they claim, you know, two Christian people say, well, we, uh, you know, we, my, my husband or my wife and I had an amicable divorce. Like we're still friends. We're going to make work with the kids. And I'm like, your priority isn't God at that point. You, for whatever, re- whatever you want to call it, it, you got tired of it. it. It got old for you, whatever, but let's be real. It's a selfish decision and it's not pointed to God. God right. is to be glorified for, to a union that lasts a lifetime. And it takes work, you know, and it takes consistent prayer. It takes, you know, I, uh, you know, I can honestly say by placing God first, I have, and this is all by God's grace. It's never of our own strength, but um, by submitting to him and saying, God, give me the strength to love my wife as I should. Give me the, give me the ability to have the same passion and drive and love for intimacy and desire for her as I did when we first got married. And, and he's, you know, for 12 years, it's, it's been that way. You know, there's, there's, there's ups and downs, but it's like, Dude, love, like define love, right? Like our society today is just, it's this thing. But Christ makes it clear. I mean, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Well, it's that simple. Yeah. So, so love is a commitment. And when you talk about marriage, it's like, we're coming together before God and I'm looking at my wife in the eyes, my newlywed, and I'm saying, I am with you to the end. I am your man. I am mm-hmm. your wall. I am pledging here to be the authority over this house, to protect you, to provide for you, to lead you in our family. And I vow before God by his grace that I will never fail you. That's that's true love. That's commitment. Despite the ups and there's never going to be this place where it's like I've fallen out of love. Like that's not from God. Right. And I have a I have a hard time even with the marital unfaithfulness argument just because and maybe this is because it's recent. I haven't read the Bible back to front. I, I barely even cracked it open, to be honest with you, but I've been going to church for a couple months and um I don't know, trying to follow the logical consistency of of Christian marriage. Um, I believe isn't is, is it Hosea? Is it Hosea where um he takes Gomer? Is that am I saying that right, Hosea, the book of Hosea? I believe about the, I'm, the pro the prophet that takes the prostitute as a wife. Yes. I, I honestly can't remember, but I know it's one of the prophets. It may be Hosea. Yes. I think I think it is Hosea. I'm sitting in front of a two thousand dollar Google machine. So um <laughs> yeah, I think it's the book of Hosea. Uh I, I mean, and I think that's old testament, maybe. I don't know. Um it's old testament, but that's a whole other deeper discussion. I mean, there's continuity between God's yeah, it, it what is, just what is he, good and right. Well, and, and I know that it, Hosea, from what it seems to me, is less of a it's less of a lesson about marriage and more of a lesson about God loving his church. And I understand that. But it's also we're also called to love our wives like Jesus loves us. So um, it seems to be a lesson in both in both ways. And so um, I, I don't know. Help me help me square that circle, because I, I, and that's where I think, you know, my buddy Kate, I think that's where he says he really just frowns upon it. Like there, there's nowhere where he says that even if they're unfaithful, you can't get a divorce. But um, I think there's multiple, it seems to me that there's multiple lessons of, of unfaithfulness on man and woman's part um, where he calls you to, to still be faithful in that marriage. What, what do you think? I, I think that's still the primary goal. I, I think it's just, there's a place and I'm trying to, 
find it quickly with my Bible. I'm not. There's a place where Christ specifically says when he's talking about divorce. Okay. Yeah, um, and and I've seen that too, uh, and I think it didn't serve my argument, so I quickly memory hold it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he says uh, he, he says something along the lines where it's like only on grounds of unfaithfulness, but that's still. It's like you have to look in, into each circumstance. And like you said, the overall the overall call as a Christian is to forgive. I mean, because let's be frank. Christ says, man, if you lust with your eyes after another woman, you've committed adultery, right? Right. Have, have I, if I'm on, have I lusted after another woman while I've been married with my mind and my eyes? Have I sinned against my wife in that way? I have. So technically right. I've been unfaithful. Is she have grounds for divorce because of that? You know what I mean? But yeah. it's like, no, it's, it, it, it's one of those things where it's so the line is so ambiguous that it's almost like impossible to be drawn at that. You well, know it's, what I mean? It's, like, it's, are you just looking for an excuse to leave them? You know, is it like, has, what, what is this thing yeah. we're talking about? What is the spirit of this? Are we, is it like, I have uh is your partner sincerely repentant? Is this, or is it like they're just completely unfaithful and have no care anymore? Then obviously, like they're like, I'm not, I'm dating other people, even though we're married, right? And I, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not going to stop type thing. And it's like, okay, you're unfaithful, but or was it a failure where it's like sincerely, I repent and I want to make this work? I think it should, a Christian should fight for and not just be like, well, we're just going to divorce. I think, and I think that's a a greater testimony to God's glory and forgiveness um than anything you know what i mean if you're able to rebound from something like that in god's grace and forgive one another and move on and still be a strong marriage i th uh, I think so too and you know my buddy Cade, the way he put it he was like well she'll have to divorce me like even if that is her prerogative um she'll have to divorce me like i'll i'll be here with the kids and um she'll have to file the paperwork and you know it'll it'll take a lawyer to have me sign it you know um, yeah, I, I, that I was think when it, his level of of reluctance. Yeah, I think when it comes to this thing, you know, when you when I look at marriage, it's um, you know, when the Bible says you've they leave their father and mother and join together in one flesh. The way I look at hierarchy of priorities, and you know, it's like my priority is to God first, mm -hmm. and then it's to my marriage, which means to my wife, and then it's to my children. A lot of people switch the children and wife and they get all mixed up because you're never going to hear parents say, I would divorce my children. You know, like, no, they're like, oh, I'll, I'll do whatever for them. I'll do whatever makes them happy, which that's a whole other lesson. You shouldn't have that perspective as a Christian, but you get what I mean. They place their yep. children first. That almost becomes their idol. They'll gladly leave their spouse. When in reality, when you marry, that is, that should be the strongest human relationship you have. Yep. Even even though you're technically, you're not blood, where people get there still, they still have these other allegiances they place before their marriage when it's like, no, that's number one. So I'm, from that perspective, it's like, I will never quit. I will never quit on my marriage. Like he's, like your your buddy said, she will have to leave me. Like to me, it's, it's never going to be an active decision for me to leave her, you know, like right. this there there is a no failure option with this thing called marriage because that's what god calls us to be 
I don't mean that in a creepy way. Like if my wife tries to leave me, I'm going to put her in a cage in the basement, (laughs) (laughs) but I leave that in a way like, yeah, as, as long as it depends upon me by the grace of God, like I will fight for this thing. Cause that's what love is. That's what commitment is. You know, I mean, honestly, for me, it's like, it's because dudes have their priorities. They don't have them straight, but it's like, if, if there's a dude that's unfaithful to their wife or they leave their wife, like, do I truly, but then they say, you know, they, they want your trust, you know, like I'm gonna, I'm like, you can't even, you can't even remain committed to the one person you're supposed to be committed to, you know? And it's, yeah, it's a failure as a man. Cause I mean, it's more in depth as far as, you know, when we get into the, the other side of purpose, like our purpose as man, but you are responsible because God has made it that way. Like it's, it's man with authority not to be a tyrant by any means, but has the ultimate authority because he has ultimate responsibility. Like in some way, you know, even with, uh, you know, my wife's responsible for own personal actions and behavior, but Mm -hmm. whenever your wife is uh, irritated with you or there's attitude or there's situations going on, there should be some self-reflection as far as like, am I not leading her and my family as I should? Absolutely. Is there something in my leadership that's causing this behavior and what can I do as uh, the man that is to lead her and my family to, to make it right. You know, yes, sir. Um, that's, that's your, that's your level of commitment and, and responsibility. You know, it's uh, you divorce your, you've given up, you've given up on the war on the battle, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with you a lot. And, and, you know, one thing where we kind of wrapped up my buddy and I agreed to disagree um, he was saying that the one thing, the one circumstance he could see it was the, the unfaithfulness, the cheating, you know, she stepped out and, and I think I had kind of left the conversation with a, uh, okay. And, and I told him, I was like, all right, dude, well, just do me this one favor. When you get married, um, view it as if there's no way out and live your whole life like that. And then when you get to that situation, uh, number one, I guarantee you her stepping out is going to be a lot less likely if you live like that, like you are committed to the end of, you know, to the end of your life. Uh, her stepping out is going to be a lot less likely. And if you do eventually get to that point, then we'll talk about it. But um, just don't, just don't live with that back door. Like don't live with that, you know, escape hatch, be committed and, and treat your marriage um, like it is for life. And and that's kind of the position that I've taken too, is just, you know, I think that the re- a lot of the reason that, that marriages are, are crumbling these days, and you can call it this generational, attention span or whatever it might be but i don't think people approach this as you know i'm going to be in this forever uh and so there's like no sense of urgency to act accordingly on the daily basis does that make sense um I, and i and i liked your sorry i don't i don't mean to cut you off but I, I liked your uh your statement earlier where this modern dating is just preparing us for divorce where we're so nonchalant and oh well if it doesn't work out i'll go find another one um I, I liked that. And I think that kind of aids to my, to my point here of, you know, no, I don't, I think very few people are approaching this as if it's for life. And so as a result, it's not for life. They end up, they end up losing everything that they had. Yeah. And I, I don't think it, I mean, it's not just this generation it's been going on, you know, it's, it's generational. It's, I mean, you can go back 20, 30, 40, 50. I mean, look at the 1960s with like the sexual revolution. I mean, they completely, yeah you know, modern feminism, just like destroying the idea of the family. That's the mission, you know, because ultimately we're, we're in a battle and it's, uh, it's, it's God is the author 
of everything because he's the creator. He is writing his story and his story is him redeeming his people and redeeming his creation. And the way he does it is through families. The family, the family government, the family institution is the founda- foundational institution of society. And the way God has ordained it to work in a powerful way is between a man and a woman that will never fail, that are committed to God in their mission, the woman helping the man in that endeavor as he leads. And then they they essentially um, cultivate all these little worshipers, which are their children. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And these worshipers go out and continue to propagate the earth and to infiltrate all these institutions of society to God's glory, you know, and to do the same thing. That is, and that should, that, that is our primary mission, our primary purpose, right? Yes, sir. Um, you know, a lot of these things we do, these projects we have, a lot of them boil, you know, if, you know, the Bible says, if you can't provide for your family as a, like you're, you're worse than an unbeliever, you know, that's the New yeah. Testament. So it's like, that is your charge, man. Oh man. You know, all the dudes out there, it's like, be first and foremost, a, a man that understands his, his call to glorify God and enjoy him forever you know, through the, through the saving work of Jesus Christ by grace alone through faith. But then he, he reforms you, transforms you to be this person. And then you're taking on a helper, your wife in this beautiful mission to glorify God. And it sets everything in its place. It makes life beautiful because it is what is objectively beautiful according to what God has said. And it's, uh, it's how you, you truly experience joy in everything you do. I I agree with that really. I, I agree with that heavily. Uh, and it's, it's a very beautiful picture and I've never met, I've never met happier couples than the ones that I meet at church. Now they have their issues. Um, and you know, because we are so open with each other at church and because we are, um, you know, we have the prayer request time and, uh, that's the place for honesty. You get to see the problems that they actually have, um, versus all your Instagram friends that never share their problems inside their marriage until it explodes. But uh, the happiest people I truly see are the people at church that are raising families. I mean, we're in a, we're in a class right now where, uh, everybody else has kids, like everybody else has kids, literally every one of them. Um, all the other couples have kids, uh, nobody in there is single. Um, and it's just a room full of happiness when we all get together. Uh, and and so I agree with that pretty heavily. I do have a question for you. Um, that it's, it's a little bit, I guess, heavier of a topic or a little bit, um, it's about sex. Um, mm-hmm. so I was, I was talking with, um, I was talking with a buddy the other day about gay marriage and why I believe that, um, you know, it, it's not real marriage. It doesn't fit the definition of marriage. I don't think that the government should, um, incentivize gay marriage at all. Um, I don't think that being gay allows you to get married because I don't think that's the definition of marriage, but, um, we got talking into the nature you know, what is the nature of a, of a married relationship? You know, why, why do we get married? Why do we have sex, you know, with our wives? Um, and it's a question that, uh, again, trying to square the circle that I'm really scared to ask, but, um, when to, when does sex not for procreation, just asking you, what does the Bible say about that? Why are we, um, why are we allowed to do this thing that is meant to, um, create children uh, with our wives without the intent of creating children. Are we allowed to actually do that? Uh, when does it become, even with our wives, uh, when does it become not okay? Can you give me some of your thoughts on that? Cause it, it was a, it was a question that was brought up that I wasn't exactly prepared to answer. And I have my own thoughts on it. 
Um, but I don't know if they're sufficient. So I want to get yours first. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, um, I mean, there's, there's places where Paul, because the, the Corinthians were having an issue at the time, as far as like, Oh, even as a married couple, like we're not supposed to have sex anymore because, you know, we're supposed to like abstain from these desires or whatnot. And Paul's like, no, for the sake of not falling into temptation of lust, like, you know, you're, you're committed to each other. So in, in one way, it's to kind of um to stem that temptation of lust. But I think more importantly, it's just a um it's the ultimate expression of intimacy between man and life as far as union. Um, you know, you look at uh, you know, it says that a man loving his wife as Christ loves the church. Um not to make this any weird thing about like, you know, <laughs> you know as far as Christ and but but sex is a rep- a beautiful representation of just um of holy intimate union, you know, and as and it's it's this blessing that man and wife get to enjoy together. I mean, if if you're enjoying sex as you should as a married couple, it is that ultimate expression of intimacy, of just love and desire for one another. It's much more it's it's much more powerful than just like satisfying physical need or physical feeling. Um, anyone that's truly in love with someone and committed to marriage can can probably speak to the the deeper level of um, intimacy that's occurring during sex. Yeah. So it's uh, you know sex is designed to be this like like everything. When God intent when God first made creation, He saw it and it was good. And he told Adam and Eve to, you know, to, um, you know, multiply and to fill the right. earth and to subdue it and take dominion. So it's literally this life. You make life. You know what I mean? It's such a powerful thing. It's not something we're supposed to take lightly. And obviously, modern society has completely turned it on its head. It's it's for your personal satisfaction, you know, um, and that's not what it's there for. It's to like serve one another and just to. I think it it is okay, and I think it's encouraged because it's a blessing where the strongest it's the strongest human relationship you can have, and it's mm-hmm. the strongest um, action of intimacy you can commit to with one another, and no yeah. one else, no one else shared like it's only you two, right? That's what like when I'm because you know I'm a dude, and I you know I'm the flesh is constantly warring. You know, I'm constantly tempted to look at porn, to, you know, look at the girl jogging down the street in yoga pants, you know, like, but what keeps me driven is just like, um, I'm supposed to, as the man that leads my wife, I am called to defend her honor and first and foremost in my own heart. And so it's like, no, she is the only person as decreed by God that will have that place in my heart. So it's a lot more special when it's, you know when it's what it's supposed to be. I agree with you. I agree with you a lot. And and I think that, um, you know, where we, we've got, there's going to be another discussion had between you and I on the Sunday series about knowing and what you believe and stuff like that. But there's always a point in these arguments when you're talking to what they call unbelievers, I guess, and you as a believer believing in this one certain truth where you will eventually just get to a point to where it's like, well, because God said so. You know what I mean? Like you will eventually get to this point. Um, I think it's a lot farther down the road than what a lot of people um, chalk it up to, you know, because God said so. I think you can do a lot of reasoning. You can do a lot of talking. Um, you can have a lot of conversation before you eventually get to that point. But I think that was one of the points. And I kind of chalked it up to 
um well do you really think you could do you really think you could stay committed uh to this person for the rest of your life if there wasn't you know that that one little reward <laughs> you know like <laughs> I, I don't know i just and that's obviously tongue in cheek but um mm-hmm. cuz a lot of people stay committed and they don't get that reward sickness or whatever it might be um yeah. but uh I, that's kind of where i was going with it is that it, you know it's a tool it's 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 a gift it is a blessing from god that you get to do this thing um which you you really enjoy with you know the one person that you're committed to and that's kind of what i had to chalk it up as and that's just something that you know uh, an unbeliever is going to call that a logical inconsistency if they don't believe but um that's something that because of what we believe is true that's that's what we have to so we have to rely on is faith that um this thing is good and that we are allowed to partake in good things with certain people um because god says so so uh, no, that's where I was going with it, and I and I agree with with your answer. Um, that's kind of where I was hoping that you went with it. Aside from the imagery, <laughs> aside yeah. which I think it's good imagery, but aside from the imagery that it's the way Jesus loves His church, um, that, <laughs> yeah. one, that one is a little awkward. But um, no, I, I I do agree with you, and and I think the other thing is that um, the main reason you're allowed to do that with this person is because it's the strongest human bond. I also think that that chemical hit that we get from from sex is probably the strongest that we can actually um that we can have you know that 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 building of intimacy those chemicals that get dumped into our brain um Mm -hmm. when it does actually happen it's it's one of the strongest so it it makes sense that it correlates um that it correlates there and that's why you're allowed to have that um expressive relationship with this one person because it is the the strongest human relationship that you're supposed to form so um i thank you for Thank you for reinforcing my ideas on that because I was kind of stumped in the conversation. I was kind of stumped because he was like, well, if you're telling these these guys that they can't do this thing they enjoy, like, then, you know, it, it was kind of a logical inconsistency um, to where he was like, if it's only for procreation, then it's only for procreation. But I don't think that's right. So, um, I mean, I mean, there's a lot to be said. And what I was getting with Paul's teaching is just like marriage in general is a reflection of Christ loving his church, right? So it's, right. it's one for one, but it's this reflection of this intimacy we have with God. I mean, literally when you're born again, the very presence of God lives inside of you, right? Right. So um, so it's, a, you know, as as man and wife, you're you're reflecting that in the power of your intimacy together. You know, yeah, and, no, I, I I get what you're saying. It's just no, yeah, you you can make it weird. You can make it weird. You can make it weird, and I knew exactly where that was going. But um, yeah, you can make it very weird. Um, I mean, no, it's no weirder than the idea that communion is us, you know, eating Christ. So yeah, um, that that one's always kind of a weird one for me. Um, well, they're yeah, I mean, they're hard teachings, and um, you know, you have to put aside a lot of uh. The things you want to laugh at if you want to truly get the value out of them i mean that's you know i can speak yeah. to the same thing you know but. yeah so the the last question that i kind of have and i appreciate you for for approaching that because it really it really did help me kind of cement my my thoughts on that um and i want to go and uh read i think i've decided i think i've decided that i'm going to start uh just getting in the bible by reading the specific marriage parts maybe i can find like a marriage bible study where we go through and read uh the parts on on marriage in the bible because i'm very interested in that but um moving on to to children i think this will take us a little bit i don't remember what time we actually started the recording but i know we're coming up close on an hour um want to be respectful of uh of everybody's time um but let's talk about kids for a second you've got two correct yeah and how old are they if you don't Uh, mind me asking 
No, 10 and six. 10 and six. So I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. and it's it's a question that I've been dealing with because I see I saw kids growing up in Christianity in my in my life. Um, and I grew up the way I kind of came to Christ was it was different but typical. Um, you know, you did the youth group things, you know, it's a small Texas town. Um, you go to the youth group because that's the only thing happening on a Wednesday night. Uh, and all of your friends are there, so you want to go hang out. Um, and we happen to just sing and do this thing that the the adults tell us to do. Uh, and then we get to hang out afterwards. Um, but uh, I'd, I'd kind of seen all the things I'd heard all the teachings and through this kind of hypocrisy that I saw, and I know this is a very, the, the horse has been beaten to death, but um, through kind of the hypocrisy I saw in the youth group, in my friends, in their parents, uh, straight away from it, uh, wasn't very serious in it at all. Didn't really have doubts, but just, it wasn't at the top of my brain at all. Kind of came back to it because I couldn't solve for X and a lot of the issue, like the sex thing. Um, couldn't solve for X and almost every one of the pivotal issues of my life without God filling, you know, filling that hole as the X. Um, but you know, my one concern is with, I think because I had strayed away, um, and tried to solve for X by myself, um, tried to solve these equations that, um, I couldn't, and then found people that did have the answers and discovered their answers kind of like you did, um, it means a lot to me. And my concern is with these kids that grow up in Christianity and stay in in Christianity, don't stray away like I did. Um, do you, how, how do we, how do you approach that with your kids? Um, and do you think that it is possible to have the same um, conviction without ever seeing the other side of faith? And I know the answer is probably a resounding yes, because that's what we're called to do. But I just have difficult with, get difficulty with that. Do you know what I'm asking? I know I'm not asking it well, but uh sorta. <laughs> I, so well, you, so how how can we how can we raise our kids in a certain way to where they don't essentially have to fall away to get the point? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the point is is how do you because for me the fact that I did move away and the fact that I did kind of fall away um it made the answers so clear when I finally started looking for other answers. Um, it's just, it, I'm wondering how eventually, you know, when, and if I have kids, um, how I'm going to set that up to make sure that they don't have to fall away, but it, they're still just as convicted in this without just being told that that's the way it is. You know, how do you, how are you going to set that up with your kids? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, there's always going to be outliers, right? You can have generally good Christian parents that raise kids in a good Christian home. They're doing the right things. And you just have that prodigal son, you know, yeah. who ends up making those decisions. And so a lot of this is by faith, but, um, but God has some promises. And I do think, I think the church in large has had a problem because they've given into certain things um, according to, a godless culture and kind of fallen into the same traps. And I think the biggest trap is understanding, taking pretty much outsourcing certain responsibilities that are supposed to be theirs. Right. So mm-hmm. for instance, education, right. So you, you've almost had this model for a long time for decades where it's like parents go out there and provide the food and the shelter. Right. Right. Ship your kids 
to a institution of education and their primary role is to educate your kids. Mm-hmm. And then you take them to church and there's, and the primary role of teaching your kids about God is the church and the Sunday school they go to. But when we're home, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to really, you know, live a certain way. And um, unfortunately I've seen this and the fruit often is these kids are only going to take it as serious as you do. And it ends up just being this thing we do versus no, our lives are always supposed to be directed towards Christ, our Lord, you know? So it's understanding. Um, and it's, it's a thing called sphere sovereignty, right? So God is sovereign over everything. Mm-hmm. There's, there's certain spheres of society. And you, if you can think of a Venn diagram, there's certain places where they overlap, but ultimately there's spheres of um, authority. God is sovereign over all. But so there's, you know, and people typically separate them in three family, church, and state. Okay. And the family, you know, and especially as the man, my primary responsibility is the education of my kids, in essence, their discipleship, you know. Um, And so how are they seeing that? So to really, you know, to answer your question, first and foremost, as a man, as an individual, are you living out that relationship with your God as you should be, right? Are you, are your kids seeing you committed to the spiritual disciplines? You know, are you leading your family in family worship? Are you able to have the knowledge? Cause as, as the head of the, like the family, you are the spiritual authority. You're in essence, a pastor of your family. You are going to teach, help lead your wife in the way of understanding God and your children and raising them in that. It's not that, hey, okay, we'll pray. But then if you really want to learn about the, the tough questions, like go go to church and just listen to the sermon. It's like, no, like I want to have these conversations with my son and with my daughter. Yeah. You know, what does it mean to be a man? You know, what does it mean? Like my son is six, you know, and he looks at me like, what did he talk? But I'm, it's, but from the beginning- <laughs> You know, we talk about things like he'll disrespect his mom, you know, and then I'll take him to the side and be like, listen, son, like God calls you to be a man and you are to provide and protect and lead the people in your life. And you're not leading as you should be. And you shouldn't be talking to your mom that way, you know, really connecting the lesson to the universal truth of what God calls you to be and living that out in your home and you taking that responsibility and diving deep. And I like, my, I should be able to answer the majority of these tough questions for my kids, you know, and be honest, obviously when I say, I don't know, but then say, let's find the answer together versus outsourcing these responsibilities. Right now, the church aids and supplements you in your responsibility. Just like, you know, I'm, I'm personally responsible for protecting my family. Right. Mm -hmm. But if, if China invades America tomorrow, I'm not going to be like, all right, Chinese PLA, come to my front door. You know what I mean? Like, no, the state yeah. <laughs> supplements and aids me in my capability of protecting my family. I pay taxes. So there's a standing army to stop them. Right. So, right. but ultimately it's like, it's primarily taking responsibility and living that out in your daily life. You know, it's not just, so they see this, this following God thing was serious to dad. It was real. They saw it. My, my theology, they, they, you know, Theology should come out of your fingertips. It's a quote somewhere, but it's in essence like, am I living out my faith right. physically? Are they seeing that? You know, 
when I, when I tell them that physical fitness is important, right. And they see me doing my goofy workouts in my, in, in my driveway, they're like, yeah, dad takes it seriously. You know what I mean? When I say these things are serious, it's, are you credible? <laughs> you know, are you, yeah. uh, if, are you living your faith on a very personal level to where your, your kids and your family sees that and, and you lead them in that you show them it and you teach them it on a very intimate level as their father. Yes, sir. Versus just saying, well, they'll, they'll learn about Jesus in Sunday school. You know what I mean? Because then it's, uh, it tends to be this empty thing. Cause they're not, um, they're not really seeing it executed as it should be, you know? So that's that, I mean, for me, that's the primary, that's the primary way for me to like, to, to have the faith and the hope that they will hold to the faith. Now they're people, they're kids, they're fallible. They're going to fall at times, but not to a point where they become apostate and just leave the faith hopefully, but that they see, yeah, dad taught us the way, you know what I mean? He, he made yeah. decisions and sacrifices and, and did things to show us that God first and foremost is of the utmost importance and we are to do everything pointed towards him, you know? Yes, sir. What level, what level of exposure, um, to, I guess, unfaithfulness or, you know, we, we, we were seeing the homeschool revolution, um, nowadays, uh, mm -hmm. and in, in a lot of ways, I completely agree with it. I think it will end up, uh, I don't think it, it's sustainable. Um, I think that the, it, the public schools, I think, will end up correcting um, in a lot of these small communities where everybody is, is concerned about homeschooling and stuff. I think that the public school system will end up correcting before they ever get um, mass homeschooling off the ground. Um, but I digress. What level of exposure to unfaithfulness or unbelievers or, quote unquote, the real world, the fallen world, as you may, what level of exposure do you think is acceptable um, for your children? How sheltered should they really be? Um, and the, this is just for my curiosity. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, and just to share, because it may clarify the question a little bit, to share my opinion on it. Um, I'm a big fan. I think, like I said, when and if we do have kids, um, my position is to find a good school to where most of the teachers our believers, most of the teachers go to church. Um, these exist in rural communities. Nobody can tell me that they can't because I went to school in them. Mm -hmm. um, but to find good public schools to where I know there will be a little bit of of bad things um, and to let my kid experience those and to be very, very diligent on covering all of the areas outside of you know, math, science, history, and even being very involved in those, making sure that they're learning math correctly, history, social studies, all of those things. But I believe that that exposure is still somewhat beneficial. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think no matter what, they live in a fallen world, they're going to be exposed. Um, I think we shouldn't shelter them, but I think there's age appropriate exposure, right? Um, right. You know, a translation, I, you know, people will often say, well, our, our kids are going to be the light in these schools. And it's like, you know, we can barely do it as adults, you know, like I don't yeah. expect my, my, my six-year-old to be the light to their teacher that's teaching them whatever. To um, share I the mean, gospel on the, on the, <laughs> on the yeah. slide, you know? I mean, my, you know, my example would be, I mean, look at, you know, the, you know, soldiers, for instance, right. Do we, um, you know, do we take a soldier and put them through like a few weeks of 
of training and be like, go to war. It's like, no, they go through ex- months of extensive training before they are even close to being capable. Right. So for our children, we're training them in the way. I mean, my viewpoint that I've come, you know, education and it's, I, I think on a deeper level and it's a long-term thing. I mean, I'm not the one that, that uh, created this by any means. I've just come to believe it. Um, you know, the long-term strategy to me should really be to eliminate public schooling. <laughs> I know it's different from you, but what is public yeah. school? What is public schooling in essence? It's state-run school. And I would question if we are seeking a, a, a society that's ran by the value system that is Christian, should he who bears the sword, the authority, the state authority that bears a sword, govern the educating of my children? And that's right. where where it's the primary responsibility of the family. And then you form institutions that I would argue separate from the state. And I know that's so foreign to us because public education has been in our life for well over 100 years. Um, you can look at the history where it was really founded by humanists who sought to eliminate God from education. But on a biblical level, education is is discipleship. And on some level, these people are discipling your children. And pagans have no place discipling my kids. The reality is they have your kids for six to seven hours a day. Um, So, I mean, this is the first for me, I'm finally committing like my kids are about to start private Christian education because I think there is a value in going to a school. I'm still the primary responsibility of education. They are aiding me in that endeavor. Um, But all knowledge you know, and this is where, you know, the knowledge podcast that you talk about, but the Bible says in Christ are hidden all the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And by all, we mean all. So every subject, every fact reveals in some essence that Christ is Lord. And so I would love as I want my kids to be properly discipled. I want them to be discipled in a place where their teachers can openly articulate why their subject matter is pointing to Christ, where unfortunately these other institutions, you're not allowed to, because we see them as kind of this neutral territory. And where I would say biblically, Christ says there is no neutral territory. <laughs> so yeah. um, so homeschooling can be challenging because, and that's where I, I like private Christian institutions are powerful because you can have subject matter experts kind of teach your kids in these ways where, you know, for a mother and father, you know, I honestly, I, if you gave me a simple algebra equation right now, I'd be like, we're (laughs) we're done, dude. Like you're going to have to figure something else out to do, you know, like if I was looking at my kids, but, um, I mean, that's where I, I kind of stand with it. As far as the exposure, like I said, it's, uh, you can't shelter them. I think you need to be almost as a parent, open and honest with them about these things from the beginning, you know, and, yeah. and find at, at a certain age where they start to see things and question, that's the point where you are starting, like, we're not going to hide it from them. You know what I mean? Some of these uh, societal issues we're dealing with, but be open about them and, and talk about how God feels about them and how you should conduct your behavior and things like that. But, mm-hmm. at, at, you know, sometimes depending on, you know, maybe you, you know, you, you do find a, a decent school system that's at least founded on some, you know, Christian ethic or value. Um, but some of these, some of these institutions, I mean, it's, it's open hatred for God and you're throwing your children into a lion's den where no matter what, you know, you can tell your kid like, oh, don't listen to the teacher, but that teacher is going to be an authority and influence in their life. 
And then were there, you know, they could potentially be, you know, discipling them in darkness for six to seven hours a day. And then what do you do? You know, you maybe have an hour at night to try to contend with that become a very diff, uh, difficult formula. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean heavily. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of those public school systems are very bad. Um, like not good. And, uh, just to talk on the issue, cause I think you and I, we're not as far apart as what it may seem. I think private Christian education, uh, is not bad at all. And if I make the kind of money I make, well, I want to make, um, maybe that'll be an option by the time we have school age kids, you know, is mm-hmm. to send them to private Christian school. Um, and you know, I know, I know kids that went to private Christian school, uh, and honestly, they got just as much exposure, uh, to the bad things as what I did. Uh, some of them even worse just cause of the, where, where the school was, um, oh, no doubt. And so, um, I don't know. I, I agree with a lot of that. And I think that, um, there are some, I think there are good public schools and I think the infrastructure is really the big part. I think the, um, to get home, you know, mass homeschooling, you know, private Christian schools are obviously the next best if not the best solution uh to the Mm -hmm. issue is to send your kids to a private christian school and maybe if enough people do it then they'll have the money to create the infrastructure um that some of these small schools actually do have you know the football fields and the basketball courts and all that bs um Mm -hmm. all of the all of the opportunities and stuff that um i think are in public schools but um I don't know. I just see public schools, like I said, in the small communities that I'm from, I see them whipping into shape a whole lot quicker uh, than I see any sort of homeschooling movement getting off the ground. Uh, but I do agree with you and strongly that um, I don't exactly want to give the state, um, giving the state control over education is kind of icky. Uh, and I think there could be a lot to be done on the education system to make me where I'm, oh, you know, okay with it. Um yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a battle to be had in public schools because they're here, you know what I yeah. mean, and we can't act like they're not here. <laughs> but at the, you know, there's something that's often said in Christian circles. Um, it says it's not uh, it's not whether but which, right? So we had this idea for a long time that school was this neutral place where they, in essence, wouldn't even they wouldn't teach your kids values. They would teach the neutral subjects of math and science, but the a value, uh, an institution is always governed by a value system. It's not whether, but which one. And the fact of the matter is public education, the value system is filth at yeah. large. You know what I mean? And yeah. so there's still a fight to be had. And I think there's still ground to take to where at least that is not the value system. Um, and I'm speaking from a person, I, I think my, I mean, my goal you know, as far as the long game, we're talking 200 year plan because public ed- education is really what a little over a hundred years old, you know, it's just yeah. so inst- it, it was never a thing till a hundred years ago where the state right. ran it like it does now, uh, trying to find a system to where, yeah, the state isn't in essence, the one in charge of educating children, but finding a better system. Cause I mean, the Bible says, you know, Jesus says, give to Caesar, what is Caesar and to God, what is God's. And he's talking about like paying a tax. And people, people look at the first part as saying, well, yeah, we're supposed to pay taxes, but they forget the sec- second part, give to God what is God's. And so you're not to give your children to Caesar, you know, and it's not, I'm not, you know, my kids, my daughter, my kids were in public education last year. Right. And I have dear friends that are Christians that are public educators and, um, you know, they're doing their work to kind of stem, you know, to try to guard these kids as much as they can and teach them as they can. But 
from a perspective that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, I think the better option that we should strive for is an open environment of learning and education where kids can openly glorify God and enjoy him versus saying, yeah. oh, okay, in this institution, you have to not talk about God, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, for sure. You know, just no, in principle. And, and I'm very aware that in my, you know, little Texas Haven that I'm probably very lucky to have schools to where a lot of that was an option, you know, like mm-hmm. um, we had FCA, it was like fellowship of Christian athletes or something like that. Um, there were a lot of teachers that were really pretty open about it. Um, there were a lot of opportunities for it. And, but no, I, I completely 100% understand what you're saying. Uh, and like I said, there may very well be that by the time my, uh, my kids, um, when we have them are, uh, our school age, I may put them in a private Christian Academy. Um, and I think, and I do think that that those are lacking kind of in my area, just because nobody really thought about it. Cause everybody knew their teachers, you know I mean? When you've got a town of 3000 people, um, you know, yeah. everybody kind of knows the teachers in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all kind of friendly. Uh, and so maybe that is something that, you know, these private Christian academies start propping up to where in these rural communities, um, I could, I could see that maybe happening, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, to be clear too, just the point you made before, just because it's uh it's a it has the name Christian school, it doesn't mean anything. It's all about how is it executed, how is it instituted, sure. right? There's some schools where they they say they're a Christian school because they'll do a Bible study, but they're still teaching the same filth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like sure. so it, it at the end of the day, like what is the model? Um, what are they actually teaching? Are they connecting? I mean, my my kids are going to a school that was honestly my buddy and his wife. Um, he's become a close friend of mine. They're like, Hey, like um, we don't want our kids to go to public school. So we're going to start one. And so they connected with the association of classical Christian education and boom. So that, you know, the whole model is classical Christian education where everything's, you know, pointed to a Christian worldview and the curriculum's very centric to that. So just to make that point, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of Christian schools that are, what makes them Christian? Cause you do like a Bible study on Wednesdays. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? So. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand. I think it's the same way with colleges too. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, it's kind of a shame. Well, and it gives any sort of Christian college a bad name because, you know, I had a buddy that went to, went to a school that didn't have nearly the name, you know, that my school had um, his degree. I mean, he didn't get just an awesome degree and he paid twice as much for it. And he's, he partied way harder than I did, (laughs) you know, like, and all of his friends partied way harder than we did. Um, it was just kind of, it was like, man, you're, you know, his parents and his grandparents forced him to go to a Christian school. And I was like, that really wasn't worth what they thought it was, but no, I can, I honestly, I 100% agree with you. And there are like, if I were forced to live in Austin or something like that, we're going to find a homeschool co-op, you know, like, uh, even in Amarillo, I live in Amarillo right now. I'm not putting my kid into an Amarillo school, you know, I'll yeah. homeschool them until I can get to a different, one of these smaller schools that I think fits my bill. And even then there's only like one school out of the 20 or so, you know, even rural schools around me that I really think that I can put them in because I know the people there. Um, I know what they do for the kids, you know, I think, uh, so I completely get it. And I think that if you're in the middle of, you know, occupied territory. And mm-hmm. like I said, the middle of Austin, I completely understand it. So don't take it as a, as an indictment of, of public schools in general. I just, the way I've seen them run and I, we've, we've talked way too long on this and I apologize for taking up all your time. No, you're good, on, man. Uh, on public versus homeschool. But um, 
yeah, I, I see them shaping up pretty quickly. I think that a lot of times, I don't know. I don't know. I digress. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but no, man, I think we've had a really good conversation and I appreciate you talking to me. Um, do you have any, any kind of final comments? What is your, I know this, but I always like to end on a positive note with marriage. So yeah. um, tell me, tell me a couple of the benefits that you've had from being married. Cause I, that's one of the biggest shames that I see uh, is, is, you know, grown ass men acting like children when it comes to being married, uh, when their wives aren't around, they act like it's awful. Yeah. Um, they act like, and for them it is because they built that marriage to be awful. But um, give me, what are the benefits of being married? Let young men know that there's hope after getting married. You just, I mean, the greatest benefit is you have someone else in your life that you are together with for life in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, a companion on the deepest level that you get to fight for and she fights for you and you are just together in this mission of fulfilling your purpose. You're not alone on a human level. I know God is always there, but there's a reason God gave us these human relationships, right? Whether it's with the church or with a wife and with your wife, it's the most powerful human bond. And um, I mean, you, you have a ride or die, man. She's it. Awesome. And and someone to always lean on. Um, that's just there with you through it all. I don't know where I would be without my wife. She is an instrument in the hands of God that he has used time and time again to keep me centered and fulfilling my purpose. Awesome, Mikey. No, I, I appreciate that and I fully second that. Guys, this has been the One Flesh podcast with uh Mikey from Sing Your War Song. Uh, it's a cool podcast. Uh, he does uh, I, describe your podcast a little bit more in depth and uh, tell me, just give me a brief explanation of where Sing Your War Song comes from. Um, yeah, do that. Yeah, Sing Your War Song was was something that um, just from reading scripture and in fulfilling my purpose, you know, in a lot of ways it's summed up in one word that's worship. So if I had to define worship, it's expressing God as the highest value. And sing your war song is a concept of worshiping God in the midst of the fight, right? It's easy to value God when things are great, but it's when you're in the battle. I don't mean like, that doesn't mean like, you know, physical battle. Like I'm on the, I'm on the ramparts, of the Alamo, you know, slaying people and singing my war song. It's, it's that everyday grind, fighting your flesh, dealing with human relationships, problems at work, the everyday grind of life. But it's, it's continually having that heart of praise. Like despite how you're feeling, it's saying, you know what, in this moment, I'm going to praise God. Because David gives that exa that example in the Psalms, so um, that's kind of where that that comes from. The concept of the podcast is um, essentially taking those deep, abstract level ideas about life. Those you know, answering those deep philosophical questions about meaning and value and purpose, and formulating what's called a worldview, a lens through which you could properly see the world, and then how that's executed on an everyday level, on a societal level, on an institutional level. And arguing that, you know, um, Christians should have this idea of of their faith that it is a totalizing view of life, and we should use it to make every decision. Awesome. No, I like that. Uh, I listened to one of his podcasts earlier today. It was really good. I listened to it knowing. Um, I caught most of it. Um, had to take a few work calls in the middle of it, but it was uh, it was a good pod. And I'm going to go back and listen to a lot of these things because they're the things that I'm interested in now. Um, I always, uh, 
it's a, it's an uncomfortable feeling not knowing about something like uh, in sitting in my Sunday school class and uh, being quote unquote, not really, but the dumbest in the room, you know, that's a poor <laughs> word choice, but um, I like it and I don't like it because I like it because that means I get to learn about something. Uh, and I don't like it because I feel like somebody else knows something that I don't. And so um, I'm going to go be listening to the Sing Your War Song podcast. Uh, y'all go turn it on. What is what is your Instagram so they can go follow you on Instagram? All, all five people that might listen. To this. <laughs> yeah, it's sing underscore your underscore war song. Awesome. And then um, the podcast is on uh, iTunes and Spotify. Check it out. Yep. Go check it out, guys. I appreciate you for tuning into this episode of the One Flesh podcast. Uh, go listen to the Sunday series uh, posted on Sundays, as you could guess. Uh, the Purpose Podcast Sunday series where we try to have a guest on to talk about their purpose. Uh, eventually, Mikey will be on that Sunday series where we dive a little bit deeper uh, into his purpose. I have more questions for him, and I feel like uh, that podcast is going to take a deep, quick turn dive into theology. Um, so <laughs> if that's something that you're uh, that you're interested in, as am I, I'm going to go ask Mikey all the hard questions. Uh, maybe play a little bit of devil's advocate, which is a poor choice of words when we're talking about theology. But um, <laughs> oh, anyway, guys. It, <laughs> anyway, guys, I appreciate it. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks.